no one had sex until everyone had sex in the 60s. Welcome to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, publishing, parenthood, and marriage. I am Barry Liga, and with me, of course, you know her, you love her. I know her. I love her. Morgan Baden. Hi. Hi, guys. How you doing? I'm good. How good, are you? good. I was just bemoaning the fact that we're recording at, uh, it's 840 yes. on a, 842 on a Wednesday night. Yes. And I just We're recording late. Down. We're recording late. Yeah. This, this a couple, just a couple yeah, days A couple late. days late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um... But I just put our daughter down to sleep. Yeah. And like, this is a new thing is letting her stay up a little bit later. Yeah. And it's yeah. weird. Which we've been doing for a little while now, just because she is at a point where she doesn't need a nap anymore during the day. Uh-huh. And when she doesn't nap, she pretty much goes right to sleep when, yeah. we, when we put her down. However, and early. Like, she goes, yeah, still goes down yeah. at like 730. Yeah. yeah. However, when she does take a nap... It takes her forever to fall asleep. And usually there are at least one or two incidences of, and one of us has to go in and fix her blankets and that sort of thing. Yeah. And the problem here is that at at uh, daycare, she naps because all the other kids are napping. Right. And there's nothing we can do about that. Right. So, I never thought I'd be a parent who was like, don't let my kid take a nap. Yeah. And yet yeah. I am. So yeah. during the week, she naps. And so we've tried letting her stay up a little later. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then on the weekends, she doesn't nap, and she goes right down, and it's beautiful and lovely yeah. and wonderful. But it's this weird adjustment. By the way, I totally hijacked your podcast. You but, completely hijacked my podcast. But, like, it is this weird adjustment of it used to very much feel like after 7, 7.30 p.m., the night was ours. Yeah. Now it's, like, 8.30, 8.45. Yeah. And that's a big, yeah. I mean, that hour is significant when you're an old lady like me and you want to be in bed by 9.30. When you're an old man like me and you want to be in bed at 7.30? That's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, just setting the scene for you listeners yeah. there. That's where we are. This uh, this is episode 98. Oh, my gosh. There is there is a chance that we're going to make it to 100. We're, we're going to do it. But you know what it that means? It could happen. Way back in like the early fall when yeah. we thought we were going to hit 100 by the new year, yeah, um, and we had all these big plans. That means we have to start acting. I know we have plans. to start implementing these plans. Um, so let's go ahead. Let's do an episode of this podcast thing that we do. Let's do it. Uh, first of all, I am happy to announce. Yay! <laughs> there have been three mystery projects that I have been unable to talk about. One of which is the collaboration with you, uh-huh. uh, and I can talk about one of them now. And hopefully by our next episode, I'll be able to talk about the next one. That's uh, amazing. So I tweeted the other day that I had signed the contract yep. on my young adult novel, Unedited. That's the title. Uh, the folks at Soho Teen will be publishing it. This is the book that people have seen me refer to for literally almost 10 years on my blog has as it been that long? Yeah, the book that will kill me. I have referred to it as the book that will kill me. Hashtag it, people. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and it's finally going to happen. I'm, I'm so excited. I am really excited because this is, you know, I'm proud of, of most of what I've written, almost all of what I've <laughs> written. Uh, but this is this is one of those rare things that I think is capital A art. And mm. uh, so I'm very excited that it's going to be published. It will be in uh, 2019, sometime mm-hmm. in 2019. Originally, we were hoping for fall of 2018 this year. Mm. And then things got pushed back. And we were glad because, uh, as my agent pointed out, in 2018, 
fall of 2018, all anybody's going to be talking about is politics. Right. It's going to be just like the spring of 2017 all over again. Right. Book sales are going to be horrible. So I'm glad that it got pushed back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, people will want to know what it's about. I'm not going to tell people what it's about. <laughs> it's long. It's it's about a thousand pages long. Well over two hundred thousand words. It's kind of crazy. Yep. It's a crazy book. You've read it. You're one of the few people who has actually read it. I read it pretty soon after we started dating. Yeah. Well, it was probably like it's, six months. It, it's the endurance test. Yeah. All all the women I dated had to read the book at some point, and if they could get through it, then uh, then they were worthy of being with me. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> It's not true. You're you're the only only one who ever read it. Um, but uh, it is uh, boy meets girl, boy loves girl, boy loses girl, boy goes to the ends of the universe to get girl back. Um, it's the tagline right there. That's pretty much the book. Mm-hmm. So, can you talk about the deal at all in terms of the unique thing that's happening with this particular book? Um, not, I don't think I want to go into that yet okay. because I the, with a book like this, obviously. There's there's some some differences in how you publish it. I don't want to make it sound like I'm I'm reinventing the wheel here or anything. There have been ridiculously long books published before, obviously, but not in YA. Yeah. Nothing like this in YA. Uh, you know, M.T. Anderson's uh, Octavian Nothing was supposed to be one big long book, and they ended up cutting it in two uh, because it was too long. Oh, so I didn't know that. yeah, we're gonna actually we're gonna do it as one book. Um, but with something like this, obviously, you have to. You have to be a little creative, so uh, we've come up with something that is really different, and uh, I'll, I'll talk about that at a later okay. date. Um, you know, it, it's still early days. Yeah, uh, the book doesn't come out for at least a year, um, but yeah, I'm just really excited. So I have glad. invested so much of my life in this book at this mm-hmm. point. It's something I've sort of the first inklings of it occurred to me in college, and I finally wrote it almost ten years ago. And spent a lot of time trying to get it published. Went yeah. through two or three different publishers who were very excited about it, and then just couldn't make the economics yeah, of it yeah. work because it's it's so long. Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad that that the folks at Soho are uh, were willing to take a chance, and Me too. Uh, and we'll we'll see what happens next year when it comes out. Uh, I'll cool. find out if if I know what I'm doing or if I'm just as crazy as everybody says I am. Yeah. So I mean, both can be true. Both can be true. That's yeah. That's true. And like I said, hopefully by the time we record our 99th episode, I will be able to talk about my other solo mystery project. Mm-hmm. And who knows? We might be able to talk about our collaboration a little bit by then. I have resigned myself to the possibility that we'll never be able to talk about it. I, I, I One think day it'll just I be think, there. I think it's entirely possible the book will be published <laughs> and we still won't be able to talk about it. That's just how it's going to work uh-huh. out. Yeah. You know, We're going to be under a gag order or something like that. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about something that has been going around social media uh, the past couple days as we record, which is asking women to write about themselves from the point of view of a male author. And this came about because an author named uh, Gwen Katz, (laughs) Gwen C. Katz, I'm sorry, We're, out, la- we're, la- we're not laughing at Gwen. We're not laughing at Gwen. We're laughing, we're at, laughing at, at, at the tweet. Yeah, we're laughing at her tweet, which is um, she uh, apparently, you know, their own voices is a thing. And uh, apparently a, a male author somewhere said uh, that that we don't have to have women writing about women because men can write about women and gave himself as an example. 
And so she went ahead and listed, reproduced a quote from the first page of his book, which is written from a woman's point of view, and it is the most laughably horrible. It is just it is so it's, bad. It's hard. Like when like the term male gaze was invented yeah. specifically for this, and it's just terrible. We'll put a link in the show notes. I, it's just you know like guys. Yes, men can write women. I believe that wholeheartedly. I've sure. done it. I like to think I've done it well. Don't don't say that that means you don't have to have women writers. Like you're just begging people to do this to you. Um, but it's but just the, awful. So it's the funny so thing bad. is, like obviously that's a thing. Yeah. But the funny thing is what this inspired on. Right, which is the yes. the the hashtag of of women writing describing themselves seen through the eyes of a male author. And what it's was the just, hashtag though? Um, there actually wasn't a hashtag, at least not that I'm aware of, mm-hmm. uh, but there were a couple of tweets that went viral, and then just women just piled on, just writing. I mean... They were so funny. They were just hysterical. And we'll link to the two viral ones. Yeah. Yeah, we'll link to those. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, again, guys, just... Uh, why? Why would you? Why would you even step into that? I mean, it's it, it, it's like you're walking down the street and you see an open bear trap and you go, "I bet that won't hurt," and you put your foot right in it. Like why? So anyway, um, this is just one of those things where, I mean, I think certainly my my career has shown that that I think it's okay for people to write outside their own experience, mm-hmm. um, but I think you have to do it with a measure of of. Uh, of thoughtfulness and a measure of humility and not going in and saying, we don't need people to write about their own experiences because I'm here yeah. to do it for you. Yeah. And that's just, yeah, that's just incredibly stupid. Yeah. But we got some excellent, excellent, hilarious tweets out of it. Definitely. So speaking of men and women, speaking of men and women in writing, um, about a month and a half ago, Lizzie Skernick wrote a, oh, uh, a I love piece. Lizzie Skernick. I know you do. Yeah. As soon as I saw it, so I was like, ah. <laughs> uh, that's why I pulled it aside to talk about it at some point. She wrote a piece for the Times uh, book review called In YA, Where Has All the Good Sex Gone? And Interest Pete. Yeah, well, sure. <laughs> and the thrust, sorry, of this oh. piece. <laughs> God, I apologize, listeners. I didn't mean, I, I realized as I was saying it, I, it was not intentional. Um the, the 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 gist of this piece is that um, books written for teenagers used to have fun, great sex in them. Mm-hmm. She uses the example of uh, Sybil Davison has a genius IQ and has been laid by at least six different guys, which, of course, is from Forever by Judy Bloom, which she calls... Do you know calls... I've never read Forever, by the way? Really? Have you? Uh, I started it when I'm I was a kid. I'm going to go buy it. Yeah. It's, she calls it the urtext of dirty teenage books. Um, anyway, she's wondering like, what, what's happened? Like, why is, yeah. why is there no good sex in YA? Why is all the, the sex in YA sort of, uh, guilt ridden and impure and, well, or not I, even there I was going to say, I, I think it's twofold. One yeah. is it's a- largely absent. Right. And secondly, when it is there, it's like this thing that is fraught with. Yeah. With peril. Yeah. 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 Or not even peril, but just like, you know, um, you know, obviously sex has a lot of issues, particularly teenage sex. Yeah. And, and yes, it highlights, it, it seems to highlight those issues rather than, um, in the golden days of YA, 
I'm just kidding, by the way. The golden days of why I think technically it was <laughs> probably right, about 10 years ago. Probably. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Five to 10 years ago. Um, it was. It was much more sort of matter of fact, I guess. Yeah. Like, it was just something that was in books. Yeah. And it, it, like, it was just a part of, the, part of teens' lives. Although, if you go back even further, I mean, yeah. the further you go back, you know, I remember I interviewed uh, Lois Duncan a number right. of years ago. And I remember her telling me about her first book that she had published in... 1958 or something like mm-hmm. that and it has a, a brother and sister who are on the run and they're fleeing from people and they they finally they get someplace where they think they're safe they get to a hotel and they spend the night in the hotel and then the next day they're on the run again yeah and she said that her editor forced her to explain that in the hotel room it was sort of l-shaped oh, so that one of them goodness. could sleep on one side and the other on the other even though they're brother and sister oh my gosh. like there couldn't be any implication at all that they would even see each other naked oh that is and so weird. i just remember thinking i we are a weird weird people yes, with a we weird are. weird history yeah. um can i say real talk yeah, i sure. just finished valley of the dolls ah yes which is a book that has a lot of sex in it obvi for those who not ya but not ya yeah. at all but it, it takes place starting in the 40s, like 40s through the 60s. And like the external, extramarital sex that was happening, as I'm reading it, I was like, this didn't really happen. Like people didn't have sex outside of marriage. <laughs> these these young virginal women you've certainly seen, would never have sex. You've seen Mad Men. Come on. Of course. But it's like, isn't that funny? That, that was my first gut reaction. Right. Well, because I just feel like the narrative is like. No one had sex until everyone had sex in the 60s. Right, like, right. Like, that's, you know, at the base level when I was, like, 14, that's what right. I thought, you know. Well, it's just nobody talked about exactly. it. Exactly. That's what yeah. it was. I know. It's funny. So why, I mean, I have I have a theory, but why do you think, if, if we accept Lizzie Skernick's thesis, why yeah. do you think sex disappeared from YA? Because of the internet. Ah, I'm just making this up on the fly. But, like, one of the reasons people, I think, teens would want to read about sex in YA in a a non-fraught way, I guess, is because, obviously, they have questions and they're exploring and blah, blah, blah. And pre-internet, where were you turning for those kinds of stories to play out Uh, or for those questions to be answered, whether in a fictionalized or non-fictionalized way? Books. But now that's not where you need to turn anymore. Now you have all the information and all the visuals and all the media that you want. Right. Um, so I feel like maybe they, it's maybe, I don't know. So you feel like it's being driven from the demand side? No, 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 no. no? I, I, I guess more of a, when you think about who's writing YA now, they are obviously people of all ages. But, but authors who probably primarily grew up in the 90s. Okay. And the early aughts, and now the mid aughts, for whom sex was very readily available online. Huh. By the way, I should say, I'm literally just making this theory up as, as we sit here and discuss. Well, that's what the show is. Yeah, true. <laughs> we don't do homework, you know? <laughs> um, I, I, when I read this, I thought about it quite a bit because I, I tried to think about how I've written about sex mm-hmm. in my books. And, you know... In in Boy Toy, obviously the sex yeah. is is problematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, in I Had Killers, there's there's issues as well. And but for the most part, most of the other um, times I've dealt with sex in my books, it's more about sort of just the lust, the desire yeah. for sex, as yeah. opposed to actual sex. Yeah. And I try to think about why that is, and I think part of it is that 
honestly, I did not have a whole hell of a lot of sex when I was a teenager, like when I was in high school, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so it's just not part of my personal experience. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think also, though, and, and I have zero evidence for this, but, you know, there has become a, uh, a thread in children's publishing, in YA in particular, that I've noticed over the years that I've been doing this, which is the notion that young adult fiction is fiction that changes and molds the lives of its readers. Right. And many young adult authors wear this as a badge of honor. They take pride in this idea. And it is, as best I can tell, it is a significant part of their identity that they write books that change kids, that they write the books that are instilling morality, responsibility, individuality into a new generation. And this is very important to them. And I wonder if some part of it is, well, I'm an adult now. It's not really responsible for me to write a book that encourages mm. kids to have sex. Hmm. Um, so I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to have, have that in there unless, unless, unless it's something horrible happening. Huh. And I just, I wonder if that's a part of it. Yeah. Um, and always, that kind of makes me think of how, um, the cliche is on a television show, if a teenage girl gets pregnant in order to not deal with the abortion issue. She always they, has to have a miscarriage. She always has a miscarriage. Always has a miscarriage. Yes. Every time. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, like, to your point, it's yeah. just one of those funny things of, like, we can't possibly show either, you know, a happy, healthy pregnancy and, and baby and right. life right. or a happy, healthy abortion right. and life moves on. Right. It has to be a trauma that happens to her. That allows her to opt out of making a decision. Yeah. 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 And yeah. And I, I just, I really feel like a lot of people are just invested in this notion yeah. that their books are more than stories. They are the, uh, they are the, the foundational texts for these kids, hmm. future morality and, and ethics and so on and so forth. I mean, I don't get the sense that anyone thinks that consciously. Do you? I mean, I, you know, I see, I don't know. I see a lot, a lot, a lot of people who say things like, you know, I mean, what was the thing from a few years ago? Hashtag YA saves, you know, the idea that, that young adult books are saving kids lives by showing them, reflecting themselves back on them and showing them that they're not alone and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And just this idea that it's not just a book. It's not just a story. Right. It has a higher purpose. Well, but you could... and. This is me agreeing with you on that part. Like, you can say that about... I mean, that is true of books in general, not of a genre. Sure, so sure. That, so that is... So, like, I... Well, it can be true. That, well, that's what I'm saying. You know, like, I mean, two people can read the same sure, book and come away... Course. One can come away with their life changed. The other can come away going, that was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think that's the, um, you know, the whole point of something, a project that we did at work a few years ago is, like, there are certain books that quite literally changed the trajectory of your life mm -hmm. or imprinted themselves on you in some way right. that changed you fundamentally. Um, so I don't, I, I'm not arguing with that premise, yeah. but I do think it, it, it I, I wouldn't be surprised as you say, if there were a greater percentage of those authors writing YA versus any yeah. other genre. Well, but I wonder how many of those books that changed people's lives, how many of those authors went into it thinking, I'm going to write a book no, that probably will change, none. you sure. know? Yeah, and yeah. I, th I think I think there are a lot of people in, yes, in YA in particular sure, who probably. are like, by writing this book, I am yeah. going to change the world. Yeah. Um, 
And second of all, stop pimping out Scholastic stuff on our podcast, uh-huh. man. It's an, it's an old project. Unless, unless, to pimp out. unless Scholastic is going to pony up some sponsorship dollars. <laughs> I don't want to hear about Scholastic on the podcast. Okay. So I, I would just, I would love to hear people's opinions and thoughts on this because yeah. it, it is something I think about. And, and, and again, something I've wrestled with is, you know, do I want to have these two kids having sex here? Right. Do I not want them? You know, yeah. what, what, what do I want to do? I do want to circle back to Lizzie's last paragraph here, sure. which I think offers her theory here. Um, do you want to read it? Sure. I wonder if the reason today's young adult fiction feels so sexually airless, which is that, I like that a lot, yeah, sexually airless, is that it lacks what made Bloom and her peers seem so dangerous. Their books were physically arousing. In adult books, that trait is often a reliable sign of bad writing. But for teenagers who are still strangers or newcomers to sex, the bonus physical stimulation of something like forever or domestic arrangements can be validating, a way of making pleasure ordinary, appropriate enough to check out of the library. Those books were not afraid to let teenagers know that good sex can also be a good story. I think that one point she makes about in adult books, that trait is often a reliable sign of bad writing. It's a really good point. So if we're just talking about like the sort of craft of writing, it's hard to write good sex. I think romance writers would take umbrage at that statement though because i think you know a lot of romances are physically arousing and i think they would say that's not bad writing no 100 percent. but i i think the but i think there's still a stigma so that if you ask someone about romance books it's it's just sex and it's not real writing yeah i disagree with that fyi listeners um sarah no but uh, (laughs) but i do think that that was a really interesting point of like i mean there are even i don't remember the name but aren't there awards for like worst sex writing yes yes Yes, i will track that down and put a link in the show notes yeah Yeah. so anyway so like i think that's where where that that's coming from i remember a librarian approaching me at uh at the american library association conference uh, a couple months before Boy Toy hit shelves, mm-hmm. but galleys were out in the world and telling me that she had read Boy Toy and saying to me, you know, some of those some of those sex scenes are, are very arousing. Wow. And I said, yeah, they're supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't a mistake. Yeah. Like she hadn't tripped upon something, right. you know, right. <laughs> like, no, yeah. I wasn't trying to hide it. Yeah. They were intended to be that way. Um, and uh but you know, it was my hope that by the end of the book, you would sort of mm-hmm. feel icky that you felt right, right, you know, yeah, that, that yeah. you felt aroused by yeah. those things. I wonder if anyone's done a roundup of like best sex scenes in YA. Man, I I don't know. I'm I'm gonna go pitch that to BuzzFeed. I'll be right back. Seriously, <laughs> seriously, somebody should do that. Somebody should do that. All right, moving on to parental issues. We yeah. just have one thing to talk about this week, parent-wise, yeah. other than what we just talked about with our daughter right, sleeping. Right. Um, and that is, we had a really scary yeah. thing happen. And we we've said this before on the show. We we could probably go back through our archives and 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 you know find episodes where we say something really scary happened. Um, something really scary happened. We uh, we we're pretty sure our son is allergic to some something pretty common. Mm-hmm. Um, he was eating breakfast the other day and uh, normal, breakfast. normal breakfast, nothing exotic in it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he just broke out in hives and his left eye almost swelled shut. Yeah. Um, and he was clearly very unhappy uh-huh. and, and uh, itchy. And itchy. Yeah. And we gave him some Benadryl, children's Benadryl, and that seemed to help. And uh, and eventually it all went down. Well, and to but be clear, we were on the phone with the doctor. We were on the phone yes. with the doctor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was mostly, I obviously I was alarmed when it was happening, but it was funny because um, 
we gave him a regular dose of Benadryl. Right. And as I was on hold with the doctor, and then when the doctor came on, she asked me how much Benadryl we had given him, and right. I told her, and she said, double it. Give yeah. me another dose immediately. Yeah. And that's when I was like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. this could be really bad. Right. And then immediately she called in a prescription for an EpiPen. Which also scared the crap out of me. Yeah. Because I was like, I didn't know that's where this was going. Like, uh, right. that, uh, oh my goodness. Right. Yeah. So at some point, so we have to take we're going to have allergist. to take him to an allergist yeah. and have him tested to make yeah. sure that this is for real. Yeah. Uh, everything that he ate, he had eaten before mm-hmm. with no problem. Which is, with again, the exception, With the exception of, of honey. Yes. Which, of course, you're not supposed to give honey to kids who are younger than one. Mm-hmm. He's 14 months, so this was his first time having honey. Now, it was not honey by itself. It was honey baked into bread. Honey, honey wheat bread. Honey wheat bread. So, I so don't, we don't know. We don't yeah. know. We don't know if that's it or not. Um, Meanwhile, my friend's son, who's just a few months younger, um, just last week was diagnosed with a wheat allergy. Yeah. So then I was immediately like, is this a wheat allergy? But he's had so much wheat and other yeah. and he had he had another by. sort of bread that night yeah um, oh yeah he had uh, some plain some mm-hmm. white bread not not whole wheat not honey wheat so we don't know but it, it's just man it's just a scary moment yeah because it happened really fast he ate and i took him out of the high chair and he was walking around happy and and you looked at him and you said hey wait what's wrong yeah. and i was like what what do you mean what's wrong and i picked him up and like the left half of his face yeah. was just but like yeah it was within it was like, like three minutes really fast it yeah. happened really really fast which is mm-hmm. scary uh, and because he is who he is, because he's so stoic, he didn't really complain at all yeah. <laughs> or make any noises to let us know something was wrong. Well, he was whining a little bit. He was, he was whining fussing. a little bit, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was just scary. Yeah. And, you know, we'll have to see what, what happens with that. So we are the proud owners of some EpiPens now. Yes. Um, but, like, as I was discussing this with my friend today, I was like, oh, like, her allergist was like, here are four EpiPens. Put them everywhere. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this that's something we have to think about. Like, right. uh, you know, so this is all new to us. Yeah. This is new. I mean, you know, I realized the other day, you know, when, when I took him to daycare, I told them, look, yeah. you, you know, we've narrowed it down to three things. Mm-hmm. You can't give him these three things. And it turns out they don't give the kids those three things anyway, yeah. which is smart because um, all of them are, are known allergens. Um, so that was good. But it did occur to me that once we've got this all figured out and we know for certain it was yeah. a definite food allergy reaction type thing we'll have to give daycare an EpiPen. of course they'll have to have yeah. it you know because yeah. if something happens during the day mm-hmm. they'll have to to give it to them so obviously don't wish this on anybody <laughs> anyway like our our sympathy goes to every parent who has to deal with a, a deal with this and yeah. who has a kid you know battling of some kind of food allergy so let's uh let's wrap up by just quickly doing it sure. what are you reading or recommended reading um, you said you finished Valley of the Dolls. I finally finished Valley of the Dolls. Now you just have to watch Beneath the Valley of the Ultra Vixens, and you will have, oh, have no. done the... the no, uh... I actually do want to watch the Valley of the Dolls movie. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, I also... So Julia at work, who um, is the one who basically forced me to read Valley of the Dolls, um, we had a, a debrief about it when I told her I finished this week, and we talked about the movie, and she said it's actually really bad, like not even campy good, huh. just like straight up bad. So I was doing some quick Googling afterwards, um, and I did watch the trailer, and man, it looks terrible, but I, but I think I am going to watch it anyway. Yeah. But I didn't realize um, 
one of the characters in Valley of the Dolls is meant to be Judy Garland. Like, you know, Uh, all of the characters were, not all, but a lot of them were um, apparently loosely inspired by real people. Judy Garland was actually initially in the movie. Oh, that's funny. And got fired. Oh, God. Because it was, like, apparently a nightmare on set. But there are conflicting stories about, was she a nightmare or was the director a nightmare to her? Yeah. And then, fight, you know, whatever. But right. I was like, oh, that's fascinating. So, anyway. Um, yes, I finished Valley of the Dolls. It took me a long time to get through. Number one, it's a long book. But number two, I only read, like, 15 minutes a night these days. Yeah. That's, like, my max reading time. Um, but, God, it was so enjoyable, you guys. Like, it's so good. Good. So, that was fun. Um I don't know what I'm going to read next. I have. I know what you're going to read next. Twin Peaks book. Yeah. Yes. So why don't you tell the world that you read those? So yes, I read the Secret History of Twin Peaks, and then I read Twin Peaks: The Final Dossier. What wonderful person bought these for you? Uh, we've already talked about this. Oh, one, we have. So I'm not okay. going to. I'm not going to repeat it. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> um, and and I liked them both, and um, you know, I I was about halfway through the final dossier. When I, I realized that I was about to read something that I just was not emotionally ready for. Wow. This has never happened to me before with anything at all. You really surprised me. I, I got to this moment and I realized, like, people need to understand, like, what Twin Peaks means to me. Yeah. It was an enormously formative, inspirational piece of fiction yeah. for me. And it 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 meant a lot to me it really yeah. it really sort of helped me understand what i wanted to accomplish as a writer and i realized that i was about to read something that was going to answer a lot of questions that i had and resolve things one way or the other that i'd been thinking about for more than half my life wow and i just i wasn't ready for it yet mm-hmm. and i put the book down for two or three days yeah and i just, and then finally i just went back to it and uh and it it just slammed into my chest like a like a roller coaster. I mean, it was just oh, oh god. Wait. So yeah, and, and and I said to you, we need to do a whole show just about Twin Peaks someday. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I read both of those, and I read uh, a graphic novel, and I I just finished reading Reincarnation Blues, which I really enjoyed. It's about a guy who has lived uh, close to ten thousand lives. And he, he, he's enjoying it. He's, he's learned how to enjoy the reincarnation thing. <laughs> and then he discovers that you only get 10,000. <laughs> and if you have not achieved perfection with number 10,000, you get just cast into nothingness. And so now he's got like three or four lives left, and he's desperate <laughs> to somehow <laughs> achieve perfection <laughs> so that he doesn't get cast into nothingness. Is this a new book? What is this? I don't even I Somebody recommended it to me, you know, a year and a half ago, okay. and I downloaded the sample and uh and read it and really liked it and thought someday I'll finish this. Yeah. And it took a long time because sure. 2017 year from yeah. hell. Uh I've read more books in the past 2 weeks than I did in all of 2017 oh my God. I think. Uh but it god it feels good to be reading again. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Reincarnation Blues. Really interesting writing style. I liked it a lot. Cool. So, good book. Yeah. Well, I look forward to starting Twin Peaks. Yes, I look forward to you doing it so we can talk about it. Yeah. So, all right, that is going to be it for us, this 98th episode. Oh, my God. Uh, and we will uh, see you again in a couple weeks. In the meantime, visit us online at writinginreallife.com for our show notes and our uh, contact form. Also, follow us on Twitter at WIRL Podcast. And subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a rating. Thanks a lot, everybody. Bye.